So good to see you today, Fellowship Greenville family. Uh, whether here in this auditorium or the auditorium across the way, uh, or at home maybe online today, we are thrilled you're worshiping with us. My name is Jason Malone, uh, one of the guys here on the team. If you're a guest today, uh, thank you for taking the time to join us. Um, just so you know, uh, we are a church family that desires to make much of Jesus uh, and the beauty and the hope found in the gospel. And there are other local churches here in the city that desire to do the same. And so we are thankful uh, for them and, and don't take it for granted that you have decided to uh, join us today. We acknowledge <clears throat> that you could be in a, lot of, in a lot of different places, but you've chosen to be here uh, on this Sunday morning, so thank you. You can stop by our Connection uh, Center uh, out in the lobby after the service. Love to meet you and your family. Maybe answer any questions that you have about Fellowship Greenville. If talking to people happens to be one of your least favorite things to do, uh, we have these QR codes on the seat in front of you. And uh, you can hit that, click that, and then it'll take you to a place where you can fill out a guest card. You can do it that way as well. Before we jump into our study uh, in Ephesians today, I want to take a minute or two and celebrate a few things happening around Fellowship Greenville. But before I celebrate those things, I wanted to tell you why I love to celebrate things. Um, acknowledging publicly and celebrating what God is up to in us and through us, I believe is a piece of leading this local church family. You see in leadership, uh, there's lots of different pieces to it. Here are a few for us here at Fellowship Greenville. Um, we believe in leadership that we're called to uh, teach the Bible, yeah? And then in leadership, we also believe that we're called to model uh, what it is uh, that, we're, that we're teaching. We also believe that we're called to, to resource uh, what we're teaching as well, to put resources in the hands of people who continue to walk through and talk about different things. And then I also think that we are called to um, celebrate like crazy when in the Lord's kindness and grace, people are being transformed and and giving their life away for the sake of other people and the gospel. Now, I acknowledge that I'm the new guy on the pastoral staff team. So over the last uh, four or five weeks now, I have been invited to sit in uh, a lot of meetings here uh, at Fellowship Greenville, listen, observe. And I just wanted to tell you, uh, I'm really encouraged with what the Lord is doing in and through the people of fellowship. And I think just taking a moment, it's worth celebrating. A few weeks ago, on a Sunday evening in this very room, I sat in on a dinner where 135 people gave of their time to come and learn about how they can serve in fellowship kids and how they can serve our student ministry. And I thought that was pretty awesome. And speaking of our student ministry, just this past weekend, over 300 students went to our annual epic retreat hosted at Woodlands Camp in Georgia. And get a load of this, over 60 adult leaders gave of their time over a holiday weekend to go and serve those students. And get a load of this, over 30 of those students chose to give their lives to Jesus Christ and start following him. Yeah. Yeah. I had the opportunity two weeks ago also in this very room on a Sunday evening to meet with 145 community group leaders 
where I had the opportunity along with Zach, our community groups pastor here, to share a vision for each and every person who calls Fellowship Greenville home to actually be plugged into a smaller community where we're all doing life with each other, where care and fellowship and spiritual formation and the mission of God are at the heart of group life because those things are central to us actually being the church. Side note, I'll, I'll acknowledge this. Some of you are newer with us. You've just started coming. Maybe as the new school year has, has started or maybe over the course of the summer, you started attending Fellowship Greenville and you sit here today and you go, you know, Jason, it's true. It's kind of a big place and it's easy just to come in and sit in a row and say hey to a few people that I don't know and then walk back out the door. I'd like to get plugged in a little bit more. Well, I wanna let you know on October the 3rd, Sunday morning, October the 3rd, during the 11 o'clock hour, this hour, Zach and I are gonna be meeting with any and all of you that are interested in getting plugged into a community group here at Fellowship Greenville. My prayer is that it is the norm for this local body of believers to actually know people in such a way that care and fellowship and spiritual formation and mission are at the heart when you get together with a smaller group of people to talk about what it is that the Lord is up to. So you can go online and you can register for that if you are interested. And I could go on and on about our many equipping classes that have launched this fall. From our women's uh, ministry, I don't know if you know this or not, we currently, this semester, have close to 450 ladies involved in the women's ministry Bible studies that we have here, which is unbelievable, and over 80 ladies that are leading that group of 450. To re-engage where folks are being intentional about their marriage, over 80 people are in re-engage. And regen, we have over 70 people walking through that this semester. And I could go on and on. There are so many local and global mission opportunities to celebrate as well. And it's just, a, it's just this snapshot of what is currently happening in the life of fellowship. And I know, here's the deal, I know I'm sharing some numbers with you, but I don't want you to miss what I'm actually saying. It's not about the number for number's sake. So just hang with me on this. Each of those numbers is a person. You get it? These are people who wanna be a part of a local body of believers, caring, serving, investing in, being invested in, loving on the kiddos, loving on the students, serving in a array of ways. And I wanna to continue to celebrate and again, I, I get it, I'm new. Here's what you're gonna learn about me real quickly. I love to celebrate when God's up to stuff. I wanna call it out, not for us, because he's really good. And I wanna celebrate what it is that he is actually up to in our church family, in our surrounding communities. And I just wanna let you know, I've been here for a couple of weeks. I've been in a lot of things, sitting around listening. I'm incredibly thankful. I don't know if you know, and that's the reason I just wanna take some time to do this, you know? I wanna let you know what I'm celebrating as I look around and see in God's kindness and grace what is he is up to with this, uh, with this local church family. This is week three in our walk through the book of Ephesians, and if you missed the first two weeks, I would highly recommend you listen to Charlie's message on the first 14 verses of chapter one, and then Jim's message last week on the second half of chapter one, because what you will hear them unpack is Paul's encouraging song of praise that articulates God's rich blessings towards those that are his in Christ, and Paul's unbelievable prayer for wisdom for the Christ followers that were in Ephesus. And if you have your Bibles this morning, you can turn to Ephesians chapter two. And uh, as you do, 
I wanted to let you know that I think I get to share the best news ever with you today. Like for some of you, maybe you've never heard it. And, and for many of you, you have heard it. For some of you, it will change your life starting today and forever. And for others of you, it has changed your life now and forever. And to remember it today will be good for your heart and mind. But before we go any further, I just wanna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes just silently where you sit. Ask the Spirit of God to speak to us, to allow us to see, hear something from the Word today that either we've never heard or that if we have heard it, we need to hear it once again and be reminded of it. Father God, for the opportunity to uh, open your word today, we thank you for the truth that is found here. We thank you how it actually impacts every moment of every day for all of our days. We thank you. In Jesus' sweet name we pray, amen. So can you uh, remember the first time that you felt the pressure to perform or act in such a way as to get uh, recognized or noticed or accepted by a group of people. Now, I'm sure it's different at different times with different people, and the circumstances are probably unique to you, but you probably, if you think about it hard enough, you can probably remember it. You, you maybe, maybe you can remember when you became more aware of how things work in this world. And here's what I mean by that, because this is how it works in the world. If you want to make it, you better earn it. If you want to fit into the crowd that you want to fit in with, then you need to, and just fill in the list, right? You dress this way, act this way, talk this way, live this way, carry yourself a certain way. And as I was studying this week, I was trying to remember that I remember this so vividly when I started a new school in second grade. I don't actually remember much about my life <laughs> up until second grade. No, that's just me. I don't, like I have a daughter, she's 16, and she can remember like things from when she was like two. Like she'll say it to like Jen and I. She's like, hey dad, do you remember? And then she'll tell the story. I was like, yeah, I remember. How do you, how do you remember that? You're correct, and that's really interesting. I don't remember, so I don't know how far back you go. I remember one thing in first grade. This is all I remember. In first grade, I went up to ask my teacher a question uh, at her desk, and while I was there, I noticed her stapler on her desk, and I put my finger underneath that stapler, and then I just smacked it as hard as I could. I remember that, blood everywhere. She's kind of staring at me, like, what is wrong with this kid? Where, where? She got a roll, she was like, oh, he's from Welford. Okay, anyway, I can say it, because I'm from there. Uh, I, just don't, I just don't remember uh, much up until second grade, but second grade I remember, and I remember second grade because it was a new school. And I was trying to fit in. And there were some unwritten rules there. Uh, for one, and no one told me this, I don't know if you know this or not, but between first grade and second grade, you're supposed to go from the jumbo pencil to the regular human-sized pencil. And no one told me. So I showed up in second grade and I still got the jumbo pencil and I was the only one in the class and you gotta go sharpen it over by the wall by the door. You gotta go sharpen it, but you gotta click the thing to get it to the jumbo size. I was such a dork. Anyway, had a lot of issues. I just remember like trying to fit in, yeah? Uh, I remember being picked last at recess. 
for the relays or for the soccer match, which is maybe just time of confession. The reason I still hate soccer to this day is because I was always picked last. I don't know. I do still hate it. Anyway, I just remember vividly being on the outside looking in. I remember thinking, I'm going to have to earn my way into this group. And before anybody feels sorry for me, we all know it. Like we know that this is how the world seems to work. Earn your way, right? If you're good enough, you make the team. If you're smart enough, you pass the test and you get to go to the next grade, yeah? If you're rich enough, you get invited to certain things that not rich people uh, don't get invited to. If you're cool enough, you get to hang out with the other cool people, whoever is defining what cool means. If you work hard enough, you get the promotion. You get the promotion, you get the money. You succeed, you get the recognition, you get the pat on the back, you get the I'm so proud of you. And while what motivates us might be different, the one thing we all have in common is that innate understanding that we have to earn our way in this world. And so we start earning at a really young age, right? To find our value, to find our worth, to find our significance. We know if we do certain things, act in certain ways, our parents will say certain things, and if we don't, they won't. It's interesting because we take that with us throughout all our years, don't we? Some of you are still living to earn the approval of your parents. They're not even living anymore. What happens is so many people bring that line of thinking into how they view God, how they think God views them. And it's not hard to do when all of life is made up of a pay your own way, earn your own way. So many people think, you may think, if I'm good enough, if I try hard enough, I can earn enough, make sure that my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, then God will accept me. Some of you are here this morning because you think that this is earning something from God. And God, did you notice? Like I had a pretty busy Saturday. There was a whole lot going on. Yeah, I'm still here. Impressive, right? But did you know that there isn't, there isn't any scripture that claims God's going to accept you into a relationship with him based on how good you are? No matter how much you attempt to earn his love and acceptance, you can't be good enough, try hard enough, do enough to earn it. Now, some of you might say, well, Jason, I don't know. I think I am pretty good, right? I think actually, what if I just like kept the 10 commandments? Like I do a pretty good job of keeping most of them, most of the time. Okay, a few of them, some of the time. Okay, I mean, I haven't killed anybody. This, this week. So like, if we're honest, right? Jesus told the most religious rule keepers of his day that they were not good enough at keeping the rules to be a part of God's kingdom, yeah? The Pharisees, their names, they were committed to earning it. Of the more than 600 Old Testament laws and some others they decided to add into the mix, they were gonna show other people, they were gonna show God that they were good enough, professional, earn our way, try harder to do better, pay my own way, I'm so good, you have to love me and accept me, do-gooders. That's what they were. 
And one day Jesus is speaking to a group of folks and he points at the Pharisees in the crowd because they're always around. And he says this, he says, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, hey, professional do-gooders, your good enough isn't good enough. And get a load of this, in the upside down world that is Jesus's kingdom, it's not just that good enough isn't good enough, but time and time again, we see that Jesus welcomed the worst of the worst by the world's standards. So, what does it look like to embrace God's amazing grace in an earn your way world? Paul reminded the church at Ephesus about who they were before God rescued them and redeemed them. And today, it might be some welcome news for your weary, trying really hard to do good self. Quite possibly the best news you've ever heard. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter two, verse one. Follow along with me if you would. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Hit pause there for a second. Paul has just finished up his greeting and his song of praise and prayer for the Christ followers in Ephesus in chapter one. Coming into chapter two, he begins to remind them of who they were before they came to know Jesus. And the description is pretty stark, like it's pretty dark. He says uh, to the church at Ephesus, he says, before Jesus, you were dead, you were enslaved, you were disobedient, children of wrath. You were under, get a load of this, you were under the dominion of Satan. Jim last week did an incredible job of talking about the powers, yeah? And it helps us today as we contemplate uh, what is taking place before people come to know Jesus because, hear me say this, there is more at play before you come to know Jesus than just you were, you were kinda bad or you kinda did a few bad things. You thought some bad thoughts, you lose your temper every now and then. He's telling, Paul's telling the Ephesians that before they came to follow Jesus, they were following, walking with, get a load of this, they were walking with the prince of the power of the air. Before Jesus, they were enslaved by Satan. That's, that's a little, it's a little harder punch than, you know, I had a bad day, I kind of did something bad. There is a sense in which we have to have some familiarity with Paul's first century conception of the spiritual realm in order to understand the totality of our deadness before Jesus, right? Remember, Ephesus was a tremendously uh, religious city, most prominently in the form of the Artemis cult. So Paul has already emphasized the authority of the resurrected Christ over all things, yeah? Chapter one, verses 20 through 23 from last week. And here he adds a bit of a finer point to that by presenting the authority of Christ as a polemic against the spiritual forces that are opposed to God and active in the world, not least of which was their activity in Ephesus. And again, 
Don't miss the phrase here. Paul refers to Satan as the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So Paul is reminding everyone that there is a dark, evil, devil-inspired spirit at work in people's lives who don't know Jesus. And hey, that spirit is at work in our culture today, intentionally and pervasively. And its goal is to keep you from seeing the goodness of God's grace. That's what Satan's up to. It's a goal, he has a goal to keep you enslaved to sin and selfishness. In these three verses, we see the mess that is our situation apart from Jesus. With our own human will, the evil age that we find ourselves in and the involvement of Satan himself, this is quite the plight. That's what I'm trying to articulate is they, they weren't kind of dead. They weren't a little dead. They weren't even mostly dead. <laughs> they were dead, dead. And we were dead, dead. And if you're dead, dead, then your attempts at good enough and earning your way, well, those are dead because you're dead, dead. So to recap, they were following the course of this world, allowing the culture they lived in to shape their life. Maybe you can relate. They were following the prince of the power of the air. They were enslaved by Satan who was actively and busily working to destroy humanity. And he's doing that through the sons of disobedience. That's who they were. Maybe you can relate. And they were carrying out their own selfish desires because apart from Jesus, they were self-centered, living out their own constant selfish impulses. Maybe you can relate. Uh, Tim Keller, he's a pastor up in New York City. He describes being enslaved to sin this way. I thought it was so good. He said, the sin the Bible is referring to is like having a little computer in the very center of your heart and it never stops. It goes on and on, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And do you know what it's doing? It's analyzing everything. It's viewing everything. It's seeing everything, every person, every object, every interchange, every event, every setting. And it's basically saying, what's in it for me? Everything is being analyzed with regard to how it benefits your happiness, your glory, your power, your reputation, your comfort, your control of things. Everything is dealt with based upon this one question. How does it help me? That's what it means to follow the way of the world. We ultimately do whatever we want. And just when you think that things are as bad as they could be, wondering what could possibly be coming because of this raw and painful depiction of their pre-Christ state, Paul offers this wonderfully powerful, adversative but, as scholars call it, in verse four. Back to verse four, will you look at it with me? But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised 
raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's, it's, like, a, it's like the twist in a movie that even if you see it coming, it's still really powerful. Because again, let me say this. Paul wasn't recalling the, the sinfulness of the Ephesians in the first three verses in order to initiate some sense of guilt. That's not what he's doing. What he wanted to do was promote confidence in the Lord who is the initiator and the preserver of their salvation. Because your good enough isn't good enough. And my good enough isn't good enough. And for these Gentile believers, their good enough wasn't good enough. Paul is saying, lest you forget, let me remind you of how all of this works. Now for some of them, maybe it was new news, but for so many, like in, in the room, for some of you today, it's new news. But for others, it's a reminder. In some ways, it could be said that those two words, but God, sit at the heart of what it means to be a Christian, to be a Christ follower. Like if you read <clears throat> this passage through the lens of everything we saw two weeks ago, when Charlie taught the first 14 verses of Ephesians 1, right? Like that was Paul's call to worship. Like it becomes even more compelling and clear when you get here. Right? We can say, remember how big and holy and good God is. Can't you see then how glorious it is that he chose to redeem you when you were dead, when you were enslaved, when you were walking in disobedience, when you were an enemy of God? To the praise of his glory. Paul reminds them, you were dead. But because of God's rich mercy and love, you're alive in Christ. You are under Satan's dominion, but you are now in union with Jesus Christ. Made alive together with Christ. Like, don't miss this connection from last week in chapter one. God has, <clears throat> God has raised Jesus to life and set him at his right hand where Christ reigns far above every ruler, every authority, every power, every dominion. And Paul is telling them, these Christ followers in Ephesus, they too are raised up and seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And that's also true, it's also true for all of us that are followers of Jesus. We were dead, now we're alive. We were in bondage, enslaved children of wrath, influenced by the spirit of disobedience, but now we are free. We were under Satan's dominion and power, but now we are through Christ, in Christ, with Christ, seated in the heavenly realms. And all of these contrasts between the human condition without Jesus and the new life offered through Jesus, it pushes against this idea that you just try your best to do good enough and maybe God will accept you. I know you've had this conversation with people and this may be how you are currently thinking. I just don't know, I just don't know if God will accept me. So what I'm doing is I'm trying to do enough good things, I'm keeping the list and I got more good things going than enough bad things going. But Jason, come on, you can't honestly like really know. So, you can 100% know can 100% know that you are accepted by God and that it has nothing to do with trying harder to do better in a world that is constantly telling you to earn your way and do better. 
But when you're following the course of this world, as Paul says it, when you are constantly carrying out the inclinations of your flesh, when you're a child of wrath under the power of Satan, well then of course you're gonna chase after what this world offers. What this world tells you will give you success, worth, value. So the money and the fame and the relationships, like you're gonna run after those things if you think that those are the things that give you value and worth and if you have them, you will protect them at all costs because to lose those things is to lose yourself. And here's what's so intriguing, at the exact same time that you're gonna hold on to those things thinking that you will lose yourself, that if you lose them, then you lose your definition for existence. What's true at the exact same time is that people know that they aren't living the life that they should live. They know something's off. They know that something's missing. As Paul would say, there is wrath upon us. And so we'll try to do anything and everything to earn our way and to be good and to be accepted. Yet God's grace meets us and it wrecks us in a really good way because we know we've been trying to earn our way and that what we've been clinging to to define us keeps leaving us empty and wanting. A few weeks ago when I was teaching through our mission statement as a, as a church family, which is this, we are a community of grace passionately pursuing life and mission with Jesus. I use this definition of grace that I had heard years ago. Grace is doing good to someone who deserves the opposite. It is expensive to the giver, it is shocking to the observer, and it's traumatic to the receiver. Or as Charlie uh, once said, grace is God giving us everything in and through Jesus that we are incapable of obtaining on our own. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'll bow your heads and close your eyes for just a second. I'm not wrapping up. Just bow your heads and close your eyes for just a second. Yeah, I wanted to, it's fair. Uh, I wanna read these verses over you that I just read. But instead of Paul to the church at Ephesus, this is Paul to you here today. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. You are following the prince of the power of the air and you are following the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom you, you once lived in the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of your body, carrying out the desires of your mind and you were by nature, a child of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, and because of the great love with which he has loved you, even when you were dead in your trespasses, he made you alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. 
and he has raised you up with him and he has seated you with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay, you can look back. That's what he's done for you. I texted Charlie earlier this week and I was like, hey, just heads up. I've been kind of crying a little bit when I've been writing this message, but I don't cry every time. And I know I've only been here twice now and I've cried both times, but I'm not really like a crier that much. So I don't know if I want the reputation as the, the crying pastor or the crying pastor's up today. So just to put it out there, it's just that I talked about the mission of God the first time around that he's redeeming people. And then I get to talk about like how that actually works. And that gets me and I always want it to get me. So just a heads up, Christmas Eve, I'll cry. Easter, I will cry. Other than that, I'm pretty good. I don't really have any emotions. I'm dead inside. So this is just, <laughs> just a heads up. Why would he do it? Right? Look at verse seven. Paul answered that for us. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So Paul reminds the church at Ephesus that God has done what God has done in making them alive and raising them up and seating them in the heavenly places through Christ. The reason he's done it is to put his grace on display for everyone to see. Everyone in heaven and earth, both now and forever. So good. As followers of Jesus who have been raised and seated, we are monuments of God's grace. We are trophies of his grace. But unlike the little idols of Artemis that were all throughout Ephesus, we are, they were, living, breathing testaments of God's mercy, kindness, and grace for everybody to see to the praise of his glory. And, and it was all his doing. Look at verse eight. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you see it? Do you see it? In a do more, try harder, be better world. Paul says, your moving from dead to alive is not your own doing. It is God's gift to you. No works were done on your part or my part or on the part of the church at Ephesus to impress God or cause God to move on your behalf. Do you believe that? Not a thing. There is no boasting in ourselves in God's kingdom. No person are persons sit a little bit higher than everybody else in God's kingdom. Not one person can not one person can say God likes me a little bit more. Not your doing. We have been redeemed because God is merciful and he's kind and he's gracious, not because we're impressive on our own. And what is our response to this unbelievable kindness and grace? He died for us so that we live for him. Like, what does that mean? Look at verse 10. It means we give ourselves to doing the good works that God has prepared for us to do. 
Like in, I love verse 10 because Paul reminds them and us that we are his uh, workmanship. The Greek word there for workmanship is where we derive our English word poem. It means that which is made. And I think it's such a sweet reminder when Paul says, you are his workmanship that, that are being made alive from death to life. Hey friends, it's not the end like that. That's the beginning. I said it a few weeks ago when I was walking through 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, where Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, says, we are a new creation. We have been recreated. And yeah, we've been recreated for good works. Good works that put the beauty and the hope of the gospel on display in the places that we live and we do life. And so when I say all these numbers about what all these people are doing, you got to understand they're not doing it. I don't believe we're doing it to impress God with anything. I just believe we're getting involved in the places that God has. He has things for us to do. And please don't miss the order of these words and these verses. Like there's a whole nother message. We're not going to do this today, but just don't want you to miss in, in verses eight, nine, and 10. Like here's the order, grace, faith, good works. You see that? It's not good works and then grace. It's not enough of your faith and then grace. It's, it's grace, costly goodness shown to someone who deserves the opposite. It's faith, which is resting in Jesus that he is who he says he is and did and will do what he said he would do. Grace, faith, it's good works putting his grace on display for his glory and fame. Yeah? I just, want you to, I just want to remind you of this today. We're not brought into a relationship with Jesus by doing good works. But because we've been brought in as a gift of grace, we do good works out of gratitude for what God has done for us. We, we use this phrase here at fellowship, and you'll hear us say it like we're like, Gospel motivation. Like that is gospel motivation. I'm not earning anything. I don't think if I do, then God will accept me. He has shown me that he loves me and he has accepted me in and through Jesus Christ. Does he have good works for us? Yeah, that's what Paul says. Walk in them. And that's all throughout Paul's teachings, honestly, and writings. You're not saved by good works, but you are saved for good works. And it's interesting that I love, I just love how he lays it out. At the beginning of chapter two, Paul reminds us that we were all dead. Dead men, dead women, walking in our sins. And then in a few short verses, he also reminds them that they now have good works <laughs> that they are too. Walk in, yeah? And in between the walking dead and the walking in good works, we encounter grace. Grace. It actually does change everything. It takes you from walking dead to walking in the good works that the Lord has for you. Like that's what, when I say we're a community, when I say we're a community of grace, like that's it, right? 
We are a church. We are all living testimonies of God's grace in the places that he has placed us. I said at the beginning of our time together this morning that what some of you are hearing today might be the best news you've ever heard because you've never heard it, like truly heard it. But today you have, like the Spirit of God through the Word of God has spoken to your heart, to your mind. And I would be remiss if I didn't close our time today by extending to you the opportunity to step from death to life through God's grace. Can I say to anybody who is in this room today, in the other auditorium today, listening online today, today, new life in Jesus Christ is available to you. Um, through the years, in conversations I've had with people, maybe you've had with people, there are folks, and maybe this is you today, like there's some pushback on this whole God's grace thing believing that you don't have to uh, earn it. Um, there's, there's, a, there's certain people who live as if they're enough. It's the I am enough group. It simply means that men and women today really do have a pretty high opinion of themselves. Like if you're here today and you've said yes to the grace of God, um, it's beautiful to you because you've come to see yourself as not pretty good or mostly good or gooder than most. You've come to see yourself as someone who's dead and needs God's grace. But many people don't see grace as what they need because they don't actually think they're that bad. Some of you have never said yes to the grace of God because uh, you're just really kind to yourself. People are pretty kind to themselves. Definitely more kind than they are to other people. Thus the selective moral outrage culture we live in. Most people think I'm pretty good especially when they compare themselves to other people, like that's how they get there in their mind, yeah? It's a self-righteousness that proclaims, I'm very full of myself. There's winners and losers in this life. I'm a winner, you're a loser. And the way I know this to be true, that I'm winning and you're losing is because I'm better than you. I do some things better than you. I do a lot of things better than you. I'm enough. It's not in my notes, but some reason, one of the reasons that some people don't say yes to Jesus is because they observe people who claim that they've said yes to Jesus and then they still live that way. I'm better than you. I think other people say, <clears throat> sorry, I'm losing my voice. Other people say, um, I'll pay my own way, yeah? It's the idea that we can pay our own way for our mistakes. So people are willing to acknowledge, I've messed up, I got mistakes, but I gotta take care of it myself. 
And that, again, that goes back to how some of you were raised. You know, if you were raised in a home where no grace was ever displayed and you just had to earn your way all the time, then yeah, this is how you're gonna do life. Go try to earn your way, I'll show you. And this is a challenge in our culture because the culture we live in, if you'll pay attention, is just trying to sell you better ways to cope with you. Here's how you can fix you. So that's the TV shows. Here's how you can fix you. It's the podcast. Here's how you can fix you. It's the books. Here's how you can fix you. Unfortunately, at times, sermons from pastors. This is how you can fix you. This is how you get God on your good side. Here's how you get God on your blessed side. Here's how you get to your best life now. But it's really just another form of self-righteousness. Sometimes this line of thinking and processing can take the form of like, being down on yourself because life's hard. Like you say, I've been dealt a really bad hand. People have done me wrong. And so I deserve to do life my way because life's been really hard for me. So I'll respond like I want, act like I want. And it's not always talked about in this way, but that is still another form of self-righteousness. It's just a down on yourself self-righteousness as opposed to a full of, yourself, full of myself self-righteousness. And at the center of both of these ways of thinking and processing through life is you. And your good enough isn't good enough. And you know it. And you can't pay it. You can't pay enough of it to make it right, and you know it, and your self-pity is not giving your life any meaning, and you know it. So without God's grace through Jesus, we are dead, no matter how much we try to pay, no matter how much we try to earn, no matter how much we try to improve, no matter how much we wallow. An Anglican priest by the name of William Temple said it this way, the only thing we contribute to our salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. And while that reality seems so overwhelming, Paul says this. We've already studied it, but I wanted it to pop up on the screen again from chapter one. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and he forgave our sins. Nobody else, uh, nobody else is making that deal with you, if I could say it that way. Like no one's gonna see you as you are dead, entangled. Child of wrath, walking in disobedience and still look at you and say, come follow me. Come experience my grace. It's been very costly to me 
the people that you've done life with are gonna go, this is unbelievable. It's gonna be so traumatic to you because you know you deserve the opposite. Yeah. We bow your heads, close your eyes. If you're here today, listening online, if you desire to move from dead to alive, from enslaved to your sin to seated with Christ, from wrath to grace, from under Satan's dominion to united with Jesus, today that's possible, yeah? Today is your day of salvation because God is rich in kindness and grace. And he's rich in mercy. And God loves you with a great love. That's what Paul said. And the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus means you can trust Jesus. You can come to Jesus. You can put your faith in Jesus. You can follow him. And we don't do, uh, we don't do this every week here at Fellowship, but just with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm coming off the stage here. I'll just be able to see a little better. And if you're over in auditorium too, uh, my friend Jasper is uh, up front. He's been leading worship over there today. And even if you're watching online today, we have an online moderator that would love to communicate and talk with you. But with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you're just, you're tired of trying to let your enough be enough, because you know it's not enough. If you're exhausted from trying to do enough good stuff to earn God's favor, if you think you gotta clean yourself up, like maybe you're sitting here today and go, Jason, I've made such a mess. My mistakes, they're real big mistakes. I just got, I'm tired of thinking that I gotta pay my own way because I've been trying really hard, but I still know that trying really hard is not enough. I wanna invite you today that you could step from death to life. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm not making anybody walk in a aisle. But I'm gonna start over here to my left. You're right, and I'm just gonna look across the room this morning. And if that's you, like if you wanna trust Jesus, if you wanna know his grace, then will you just, just where you are, just kinda put a hand up so that I can kinda catch a glimpse of your hand going up. I'm starting over here to my left, you're right in these sections. Anybody at all? Yep, sure. Yep. Who else? I'm kind of in the middle section here now. Is there anybody here in this middle section? Yep, I see that. I see that. Who else? Thanks for your vulnerability to do that. I'm over here to my right now, your left. Anybody in these sections? Yep, yep. Who else? 
If you're way back in the back, if you don't mind, just kind of high enough for me to be able to see it there. It's awesome. There's no, uh, there's no magic words, there's no formula. But in your own words, I wanna invite those of you that raised your hand and thank you for all of you who did. They uh, folks also did in first service, which was such an encouragement. In your own words, if you can articulate, Jesus, I believe and trust that because of your death, I need not be dead. Jesus, I believe and trust that because of your death and burial, I need not be buried under the weight of my sin. Jesus, I believe and trust that because of your death and burial and resurrection, I am free to follow you and trust you and be seated with you. And I think there may be others here today who have said yes to a relationship with Jesus in years past. And his grace maybe has become dull to you. I'm not talking about crying over it. Like I know I'm crying. That's not what I'm talking about. maybe living still as if you have to earn it. You know, you're coming to Jesus for your, for, for your justification, yeah? For your being made right before God. You don't have to earn that. That's what we've talked about this morning. But please hear me say this. You don't have to earn it for your sanctification either. When, uh, when God sees you, he sees you through his son, Jesus. Not just for your coming to know him, but for all of your days. He's not impressed with you. <laughs> but he's very impressed with his son. And that changes everything. If you made a decision today for the first time to trust Jesus, I was joking about that QR code earlier for people who don't want to talk to anybody, but you can do one of two things. You can step out at our next steps table this morning and talk with someone you can click on that QR code and there's a button that said, I trusted Jesus. And you can let us know there because we'd love to follow up with you, pray for you, encourage you.
I close with this, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved you, even when you were dead in your trespasses, he made you alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised you up with him and seated you with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. From death to life. Amen.